Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Max Reaper of Royals Review. Max, how you doing? Hey, Sterling. How's it going? I'm doing well after a big win over those uh, the walking corpse known as the Chicago White Sox today. And I'm also getting ready for my fantasy football draft, which means I have to catch up on all the NFL news I haven't really been keeping up on the last couple months, so... <laughs> Uh, that's why. Hey, did you know Chris Jones? He's uh, he's holding out. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, no, we haven't we haven't just spent the last I don't know three hours talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate you guys catching me up to speed because I was I was not aware of that. Oh, you're golden. Now you're golden. Uh, I do want to talk about Cole Reagans because that has been. The most impressive part, I would say, the second half of the season, him and Bobby Witt Jr., Cole Reagans now has a 21-inning scoreless streak. He was the American League Pitcher of the Month. And in this game, it's just been exactly what he has been. A guy who was getting a lot of strikeouts. He's not walking anyone. He's get, he gave, what, one hit in this game. What have you seen from Cole Reagans? Oh yeah, it's it's really become appointment television for Royals fans who maybe have, you know, maybe checked out for the summer because the team has played so bad overall. But once every five days, we have this nice little uh, treat to get uh, excited about the team because Reagan's has looked so good, and he's so you know so he's still a very new player. You know, he's got we've got him for the next couple of years as long as we want. Um, and what's really remarkable is just the consistency from him. He, I mean, he's just been. Uh, just a stud from kind of his first start to to, to the today. I mean, he just looks the same. Where he's got kind of the same delivery. He's he's throwing strikes. Uh, he is throwing hard deep into games. I mean, he's throwing ninety eight, ninety nine into the fifth and sixth inning, which is not something you know, very many pitchers are, are able to do at this point. So it's it's really remarkable to see. Not only, first of all, just see a starting pitcher for the Royals perform this well, this consistently, too. I mean, we've seen guys look good in flashes. Brady Singer certainly had no-hit stuff at times. But to see a guy just go out and dominate for a month, uh, becoming the first American League Pitcher of the Month in Royals history since Zach Greinke in 2009. And like Greinke, he's, you know, he's kind of like the guy everyone wants to tune in to watch once every five days. So, you know, i, I, I got to give the Royals a lot of credit here. I'm one of the ones that was skeptical, I thought. Getting a 25-year-old left-hander from the Rangers, who at the time the reports were, yeah, he throws in the low 90s, uh, hadn't had a lot of success at the major league level, and the Royals, you know, they heard about uh, some velocity bumps from him uh, early in the season. They 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 took a chance on a little bit, little bit, and they made some tweaks. I mean, he's he's uh, much more upright in his delivery with the Royals than what he was with the Rangers. I think that allows him to get a lot more push. On his back leg, he's able to drive the, the drive through his delivery a lot, lot more effectively. And they added a slider, which has looked really terrific. I mean, he had forty percent, forty percent whiffs today. Uh, that's that's remarkable for any pitcher, let alone a Royals pitcher. So it's been a, a one of the few bright spots in what's been an otherwise uh, awful season for the Royals. But it does give you, I think, as a Royals fan, a little hope for the future because you now you can kind of dream with him, with Singer, if they add a, maybe a pitcher or two. And, and maybe get some surprising performance from some guy like Daniel Lynch or Chris Bubich coming back next year. Uh, that starts to look like a major league rotation. So, and we're not there yet, but, but at least 
a guy like Reagans gives you some hope. You mentioned giving the Royals pitching staff some credit here for the work with Cole Reagans. I think we also saw them do some nice work. They identified something with Aroldis Chapman. They fixed it. He was great here. Aroldis Chapman's not been good uh, necessarily since he's gone to the Rangers. Uh, one, do the Royals just need to get all big left-handed guys who throw hard because apparently they can figure that out? And two, why can they only figure it out with these certain guys? Is it a certain skill set that they are looking for that they can identify and find a way because we haven't seen it necessarily with Brady Singer. We haven't necessarily seen it with a lot of these other young guys on these pitching staff. It's been pretty much few and far between, but the success stories that we have seen have been just so dramatic. Yeah, and, and then actually, you know, mentioning Bubich, I mean, he looked really good in his first couple starts, too. Another left-hander, not a power pitcher necessarily, but a guy that was off to a good start. So, I mean, there may be certain profiles that they are better at kind of dealing with right now. Uh, and, and you're right. I think they do deserve a lot of credit for, for Chapman and for, for Reagan. Uh, but the thing with uh, pitching development, I'll, I'll say this. I used to say this, that pitching development is, can be very uneven. So, you know, you can only kind of work with the guys that are receptive to what you're teaching. Uh, and some guys are going to want to do their own thing. Some guys are going to go to uh, outside the organization, to driveline or some other academy where they can work on stuff. So, you know, the, the results are not going to be uniform. On the other hand, we have seen teams like the Baltimore Orioles, the Houston Astros, that have become, you know, just these pitching machines. The Milwaukee Brewers, I think, over the last decade, the Tampa Bay Rays, they have had uniform results where they just are seemingly able to take guys off the street and work with them, uh, get some more spin rate, have them throw the slider more, whatever, and suddenly they've got just a the phenomenal rotation. Uh, the Royals aren't at that spot. They aren't at that, that place yet. I think they'd like to be there. Uh, so it's going to take some time, but you know, and, and also they, they need some, some talent to work with. Uh, and I think they're starting to get that. You know, this, this is going to be, it's going to take some time, I think, for JJ Piccolo to kind of put his full imprint on the organization. And we're seeing the start of that. I think the, the trade deadline was a good first start. Getting a guy like Reagan's, I mean, you know, it, there, there had to be some luck involved with it, but, but really they do deserve a lot of the credit for that because look at the last 15 years of Royals baseball. How many starting pitchers have we taken kind of? That were underrated like that, and had him had him become, you know, a pitcher of the month for the for the entire league. Uh, that that hasn't happened. So uh, they do certainly deserve a lot of credit for that. And hopefully, we see more of these success stories. Uh, you know, they got hit a little bit with injuries with Lynch and Bubich. I would have liked to have seen them. What what they what what, what could they have done under this uh, pitching coaching regime? Uh, could they have kind of had their blossoming season? Uh, we don't know, and and and, and uh, it would have been nice to see Brady Singer maybe have a little more success this year. Maybe that happens next year, but uh, we'll hopefully we'll see more and more of this uh, as the coaching staff kind of gets their feet wet, gets their hands into all aspects of this organization because it it might take some time. Max Reaper from Royals Review joining us right here, Sports Radio eight ten WHB. Just heading into next year, as we mentioned, when you're looking at a uh, forty three win team uh, in September. Spoiler alert for everyone: they're not making the playoffs. So you do look towards next year. You mentioned Cole Reagans. You mentioned Brady Singer. You mentioned potentially bringing someone else in. You know h- how much stock can you even put in a Daniel Lynch or a Chris Bubich? How much weight do you? put in a um, Alec Marsh because you're just looking through and you're trying to build this th- uh, build this team out for the future and you're really looking at one guy in Cole Reagans you're looking at another guy in Brady Singer who's been very hit and miss and the other guys are somewhat injury prone or have had major injuries a few times in their in their young career don't know if you can count on them what do you see next season 
Yeah, well, this is supposed to be the evaluation season, right? And, and I understand that approach. I think that was probably the right approach. And you've got a lot of young guys. You've got to see what you have. If they try to stretch that into year two of an evaluation season, I think fans are going to start rolling their eyes a little bit, especially yeah. with a stadium vote, uh, you know, potentially on the ballot for next April. I don't think it's going to fly with the fan base. I think at some point you've got to say, okay, you know, we're not necessarily going to be, you know, looking at release Daniel Lynch or anything like that, but we've got to move on. We've got to start building towards the future. We've got to start building our rotation for the next competitive Royals team, and maybe that includes Daniel Lynch, and maybe that includes Chris Bubich, maybe that includes Alec Marsh. Uh, maybe it includes them in roles like the bullpen, uh, where maybe Marsh's stuff plays better in one-inning in one spurts, you know, where uh, you know, he doesn't have to worry so much about uh, you know, the, the walks uh, and, and, and uh, struggling in the you know, third inning. He can just gas it up for one inning at a time. Uh, but this team has to kind of start moving forward. They have to move in the direction of, of winning baseball because the clock is ticking on Bobby Wood Jr., right? We all know it. The clock is ticking on Brady Singer. The clock is ticking, frankly, on Cole Reagans already. I mean, uh, you know, he's, it's only his first year, but we're only guaranteed to have him, you know, so many years, six years, uh, that we kind of have to start moving in that direction of a team that's going to be competitive and win ball games. And so, you know, I, I'm all for being – you know, patient to a degree with a guy like Daniel Lynch, because I've always been a big fan of Lynch. I think he's got, you know, mid-rotation stuff. Uh, I think it's a real, you know, disappointment that he was injured for much of this year. Uh, but I don't think he's a guy you just, pen, you know, put him in an ink for the rotation next year. I think he's a guy that probably has to earn a rotation spot. And hopefully the, the team kind of moves forward this offseason to be in a spot where they don't have to count on Daniel Lynch. They've got four other guys and maybe – Lynch has to battle for uh, the fifth spot with Bubich and Marsh, and all that competition creates uh, a better outcome, and one of those guys emerges and becomes a major league starter. It would be great if maybe a couple of those guys become major league starters, and we have you know too many starters. I mean, how, what was the last time we had that kind of problem? But uh, you know, it, 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 we're at the Royals are at a point now where they need to start building towards something. They've torn it down. We've seen the young guys. We've had our evaluation season. Let's start building back up. And that's probably going to mean adding a starting, a veteran starting pitcher or two to their rotation. And I don't mean a Jordan Lyles type. I mean someone who's, who's uh, you know, going to give you a better chance to win, who, who can go out there and not just give you innings, but give you quality innings. Uh, and then maybe that means Jordan Lyles goes to the bullpen, but that they need to upgrade the rotation for sure next year. Oh, uh, Aaron Noah. Uh, Aaron Noah. That, that, that'd be great, yeah. <laughs> Only uh, in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Bobby Witt Jr. and the, and the clock is ticking. What would it take to get a deal done with Bobby Witt Jr.? How realistic is Bobby Witt Jr.'s, um, you know, let's, let's just say it's eight years from now. What, what are the realistic possibilities that he is still here in a Kansas City Royals uniform? Uh, what have you heard in regards to an extension with Bobby Witt Jr.? I mean, if, to be honest, if I'm Bobby Witt you know, this is just me, but if I'm Bobby Witt Jr., I don't entertain the thought until I see what happens next year. Like, it's, I don't want to chain myself to an organization that's just going to be constantly, you know, evaluating and not being competitive. You know, he's been on the team for two years, and they've been two pretty crummy seasons in the standings. Uh, I don't know if I want to commit myself to that. Uh, so if, if I'm him, you know, he, he should know he's in the driver's seat right now. He can kind of control when this, you know, negotiation takes place, uh, what kind of terms he wants to set. Uh, so I don't want. I wouldn't want to do anything. And I, well, as far as what I've heard, I mean, that's only what JJ's publicly said, which is, you know, we'd love to talk. Uh, we're not going to talk during the season, but after the season, sure, we, we'd love to sit down if that's something you guys are interested in. 
and I imagine they'll probably have, you know, they'll reach out, they'll try to get some sort of talks, talk, talks going, and if, if, if Bobby and his representation at Octagon is open to that, then I think that's great. I think it's, you're probably looking at something similar to what Julio Rodriguez got with Seattle. I think it's kind of a, the market setter. Very similar players at this point now, you can say, uh, that have had two pretty, pretty solid uh, seasons to begin uh, their careers. Uh, uh, Bobby is, is one of the top ten position players in baseball right now. The future looks very bright. And so you're, you're talking about you know, something that gives them $200 million. with probably a lot of flexibility, a lot of opt-outs, a, a lot of options as well. Uh, and, and that's going to give him the kind of the maximum flexibility. Uh, it, are the Royals willing to give that? Are they willing to give that much power to the player? I mean, like we talked about Chris Jones and, and then the Chiefs, you know, that's, that's something they're talking about right now. You know, the, Bobby Witt's going to want to have a, a say in his future, especially when he's at such a young age uh, and, and he's, uh, he's got such a bright future ahead of him. So if I'm him, I, I kind of wait things out unless the Royals are willing to just give you something that, you know, maybe has an opt-out after four years. I think that's a possibility where, you know, let's give it a try and, and let's see where the team is. And after four years, if, if the Royals aren't where he wants to be, he can opt out and become a free agent. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know if that I, I'd expect a whole lot of movement on that front this offseason. Now, you know, with again, with the stadium being an issue, looming over everything, maybe that spurs uh, John Sherman to be a little more motivated to get a deal done to show the fans that he's willing to commit to this team. Uh, but but uh, the, you know, the ball is kind of in Bobby Witt Jr.'s court, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, when you look at Julio Rodriguez's contract, just for context to everyone listening, the base value of Rodriguez's contract is seven years at $119.3 million, with $90 million in option years, taking the total value to $209.3 million over 12 seasons. Um, you mentioned the stadium a few times, so we'll, we'll, let's switch gears and talk about that for a moment. Now that I think people have to come to this understanding, this real Realization that the K's moving. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, at this point it does not matter. There's now two options, whether that's downtown or the north version in Clay County. Now, the more I've looked into the Clay County, the north one, the more I have been a little intrigued. Because when you hear Clay and when you hear north, the first thing I thought about was, oh my goodness, is this going to be up by the airport? How long of a drive is this going to be? And then you realize, well, you can basically see the stadium from downtown. It's like three miles north of that. You start seeing okay, this is a more palatable option. When you've taken a look at both of these two different situations here, where do you lean? Where do you find the advantages and the disadvantages of both? So the, the, the Clay County proposal, you know, when I first heard of it, I thought, well, this is their plan B. This is uh, kind of what they're going to use as leverage with Kansas City. And I still think that's largely the case. But I've heard from more than a few people that have looked at the plan and kind of talked to the people involved and said, this is actually pretty legit. Like, this is something that could happen. This is, you know, the, the officials there are pretty determined to make it happen. And the world is seriously entertaining it. And I think it is, you know, it is probably uh, a viable option if they don't get quite what they want from downtown Kansas City. Um, but I still think East Village, it, it, it seems like that's been in the works for years. Uh, I mean, it, it just makes so much sense. For them, for what they want to do, uh, I mean, there's obvious ties in tie-ins with people involved with the ownership group, uh, you know, the Dunn family, and uh, there's just I think it just makes a lot of sense for what uh, where, where they want to be in a couple years. Um, so I, my preference is still the East Village. The Clay County one is is not as attractive to me because it's not it's not downtown. You're right, it's not it's not by the airport. It's it's across the river. You can see downtown. 
there are it has more land you know there's more you can do with the area because of the kind of uh, uh how much vacant land there is available but um it doesn't connect to the rest of downtown the way you know a, a wrigleyville does with the rest of chicago or some you know some of these other ballparks that are in urban locations connect with the rest of the city it's a little bit further away you have to drive if you wanted to go to the power and light district unless they have some sort of mass transit that connects the two so for that reason i think east village still makes more sense um but we'll see i think they it, it, i think it's probably good that they have two viable options here they're not talking about moving to kansas they're not talking about moving to nashville they there are two options and i think one of those two is probably going to be uh uh probably set in stone here in the next year uh now how they get there is interesting because I mean, there's a there's a poll in clay county that showed like 80 percent of the voters there are against the sales tax to uh pay for a stadium there it, it doesn't seem like it's going much better in jackson county with frank executive uh, county executive frank white kind of uh, reportedly a, a, a kind of barrier to getting a deal done there. And the world uh, also sounds, sounds like they're not really being clear and upfront with the, with the city and the county of what they want out of a downtown stadium. So I'm really interested to see how they get from A to B, but it seems like they've got some, a couple of plans here, and one of them is going to end up being the uh, – the, the, the side of the future stadium here the next year. What I can't say from all of our talk so far, sure sounds like the Royals can't be 43-96 and 96 on September 4th next year. It sounds like they have to at least, at least in my estimation, my opinion, they have to bring in some big-name free agents. If you want to keep Bobby Witt Jr. here and happy, what do you do? You put a good team around him. If you want to keep the fans, if you want to have a more palatable option of building a new stadium, what do you have to do? Make a team that's exciting, competitive, and at least solid. I don't think anyone here is, is screaming saying the Royals have to win a World Series next year. I don't even think people are saying the Royals have to make the playoffs next year, but the Royals have to at least be somewhat competitive and not out of the equation by, I don't know, May? I mean, like, seriously, they were out of the playoff hump by May. That can't happen again if you want these new things. If you want Bobby Witt Jr., if you want the new stadium, if you want it to be all more palatable, you're going to have to spend some money. I-, I am with you to an extent. I wonder how j- how much John Sherman is willing to spend realizing that, hey, you might not see the dividends right away, but look at the larger picture here. You spend money now. You get people on board now. Just wait until the future. Yeah, in the April... The timing of an April vote will be interesting too. I, I, I imagine I don't, I don't know exactly what date it'll be, but probably I would think middle to late in the month. Which you know, if the team stumbles out of the gate, you know that that'll kind of ruin a lot of plans. But if they, you know if they have a, an off season that gets fans kind of excited, and it's and they play 500 ball the first couple of weeks, I think that's enough to at least get fans kind of excited for the future. And whether that has a huge impact on the vote, I don't know, but it can't hurt, right? Uh, and I don't know that they need to like make wholesale changes obviously which is weird for a team that's right now has the worst record in baseball but they've got some some guys in place right they've got uh entry you know obviously bobby wood jr is going to hold down shortstop michael garcia is third i think you know vinnie pascantino is going to be back at first next year we'll see how they play him and nick prado but it's nice to have some depth there you know either salvi or mj will be behind the plate uh if mj is not behind the plate it'll be somewhere else in the lineup you would think unless he's traded but, they, you know, they've got some pieces there. They've got a couple guys in the rotation, Reagans and Singer. You know, it, it's not like they have to go just totally re, re, revamp the roster. A couple of really effective, uh, targeted free agent spending uh, will, whether we go a long way on this team, right? Like one or two starting pitchers, maybe revamp the bullpen, but I don't think you necessarily even have to spend a lot of money to do that. I think if you look at some of the really smart, well-run baseball teams right now, they're not – 
going after free agent pitchers. They're, they're going and finding bullpens through really creative means. And I think the Royals can do that as well. Uh, so can they use that money for uh, a couple pitchers in the, in the rotation, maybe a bat uh, for the outfield, a right field bat, unless you really believe in Nelson Velasquez, which some people might. Um, but, you know, so, you know, sounds like you don't, pick. Max. <laughs> no, I, I do. But, I mean, it's, 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 again, do you want to wait for him to prove himself or do you want something a little more stable there? And maybe have Velasquez split time with Drew Waters or, you know, is Edward Oliveira in that mix? But, you know, add some, add some components to the team so you're not just counting on a guy like Nelson Velasquez. So I guess it, that's been the problem the last couple of years is, is, like, we go into the season saying, oh, well, if Drew Waters turns into this, we could be – but then Drew Waters, you know, he's a young guy and he's going to have ups and downs. We can't, can't necessarily count on a guy like that. Uh, so having a few more veterans that they can actually count on, I think would go a long way to getting your, this team towards respectability. And I don't think they necessarily have to just go out and get like, you know, four or five big players. They can get, you know, three or four solid free agents uh, without having to necessarily break the bank. And I think that would get fans pretty excited about next year. So you're saying I can't count on Nick Lofton to bat 500 with an OPS of uh, 1383. You think that might be a little unsustainable? <laughs> I, he's a gamer. I would take that to the bank. Actually, he's a he's a pretty pretty gamey player. So yeah. <laughs> maybe think about it. Uh, I, I do want to bring up uh, Michael Garcia again as Max Reaper of Royals Review is joining us right here. Sports Radio eight ten WHB. Uh, one of your coworkers there, Matthew Lamar, had a really good article about Michael Garcia, uh, saying he's a monster in waiting. And, and I look at some of the underlying numbers that he brings up as far as eighty uh, fourth percentile and acts an average. Exit velo, 91st percentile in hard hit percentage, 84th percent in uh, whiff rate, in the 89th percentile in chase rate. So a guy that hits the ball hard has a lot of power, and he hits the ball hard. Like he's not swinging and missing a ton. Yet you look at some of the slugging numbers. He's slugging 381, uh, which for those that don't know those numbers, great. Uh, that's lower than MJ Melendez. Uh, but by the way, Michael Garcia is also getting on base at a 330 clip and batting 285. He's not hitting for a lot of power, but it looks like the underlying power uh, analytic numbers are there. What do you make of Garcia? Well, I think, first of all, Garcia is, is kind of a great uh, example of maybe how their development has, uh, the player development has changed a little bit because in the past, I think the mold was more, you know, Michael's cousin, uh, Alcides Escobar. You know, a slappy uh, shortstop who can pick it, but, uh, but is really more concerned with playing the ball in play than working the count or hitting with power. Garcia is, you know, a much different kind of player. He's a guy that's going to work the count. He's going to have great play coverage, but also hit the ball with authority. And for that, I think, yeah, I, I agree with Matthew's take that this, this, he's a player that, you know, I think he's at, 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 right now what he is is pretty valuable. I think he's one of the more valuable rookies in the league right now, uh, playing great defense. He can run a little bit, hit for a little bit of power, good average, can draw a walk. But there's some potential there to unlock even more uh, more upside. Uh, like you said, the, a lot of the underlying metrics look pretty good. He's in the ball on the ground a little too much. I think that comes down. That's a lot of what what's kind of holding back that slug a little bit. Is there's too many ground balls. Uh, so it'd be a nice project for Alex Zumwalt, the hitting coach, to work with. See if they can get a little more loft under swing. Um, and, and you know, sometimes as players age a little bit, they get a little more power. They're able to kind of tinker with their swings. He's still a young guy, so you know a low slugging percentage this year isn't going to concern me too much. But I'm really excited about what the future brings with him. If they can really lock down that infield, and, and this infield has a chance, I think, next year to be one of the best infields in baseball, if it isn't already. Uh, 
Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it just feels like there's something extra there, and I'm really excited about Michael Garcia. You mentioned one of the best infields in baseball. Let's bring up Vinny Pascantino should be the starting first base of next year. We, I think you and I, maybe I don't want to put words in your mouth here, so I'll let you, let you uh, say what you have to say about Vinny, but I'm pretty comfortable in the believing that he is going to be a legit MLB hitter. I am comfortable believing that what he has done so far is not a, not a fluke. I think that is who he is. And then you look at second base, that's the only real big outlier. And that comes down to, do you like Michael Massey? Do you believe in Nick Lofton? Um, I think second base is probably the biggest question mark because Massey has been so inconsistent. You see months where he looks like, okay, that's the guy. And you go through months where you think, like, this guy might never get a hit again. Um, I don't know what your your thoughts are on on Vinny and, and Massey on the right side, but that left side looks really, really good for a long time. Well, yeah, with Massey, I think my my stance has been you can be you can afford to be a little patient with him just because he is providing so much value on defense. I think he's a he's a plus defender on that side of the ball, and you know he's not a guy that's just killing you on both sides. If he's going to go through slumps, I mean that certainly that that stinks, but he's still helping you on the defensive side. So I think you can be a little more patient and wait for that bat to develop. And we, like you said, we've seen stretches where he's looked like a competent major league hitter. You know, and from the left side, that's pretty valuable. Um, but and I think they have a nice hedge here with Lawson. We'll see what he does. I think he's probably more of a utility player at the big league level, but if he's a guy that can spell Massey against tough lefties, play a little bit all over the infield, spell Bobby when he needs a, a break, uh, play a little outfield as needed, I think that's pretty valuable. You know, that's kind of the, the role that, you know, Nicky Lopez is doing, and, and I think Lawson has a lot more power potential than Nicky. So um, that's, that's kind of a nice guy to have on your roster. So I'm okay with leaving Massey in there for next year. Uh, but, again, you know, at one point you kind of move on from these kind of players and say, well, we're done evaluating. Let's get better. And maybe that's, that's, that needs to be the, the message sent to Michael Massey. Hey, you need to get better because this team is, is kind of ready to move on. Uh, as for Pascantino, yeah, he, I agree. He's a major league hitter. We'll, we'll have to see how the defense plays out. First base defense I've always been, uh, you know, I've always kind of poo-pooed it a little bit more than I think most people. I don't think it's that big a deal, but but a great defender can, can make a big difference over there. Uh, what's interesting is that Prado had kind of a great defensive reputation, and I don't think the metrics have really borne that out, and I think uh, even some of the, you know, by the eyeball test, he's been okay, but there's been kind of mixed results there as well. So, you know, how they kind of resolve that next year is kind of interesting to see, like, does one of them get traded? I mean, most likely be Prado, I think, at this point. Or do they move part of the outfield? Do they think maybe he has a chance to play every day in right field if Vinny's at first base? Uh, we'll have to see because they do have, like I've kind of said all year, they've got some roster redundancies where they have multiple players at the same position, which means MJ Melendez has to play left field or maybe Nick Prado has to play right field. But, uh, you know, maybe a trade makes more sense in that respect. So, um, yeah, I'd love to see Vinny at first base. I think he can improve defensively over there. Uh, and I think I think you kind of like having a guy with his vocal leadership out on the field. I don't I don't know if that's a huge thing, but you know, having he's he's kind of a captain type player, and you want a captain on the field. You don't want him at DH. You want him out on the field, kind of bring these guys together. So I think that that's kind of a small thing that maybe keeps him on the field a little bit more. One thing I noticed earlier when we were talking about guys potentially for next year, again, Max Reaper joining us right here, you didn't bring up Freddie Fermin. I get it, he's 28. I understand it looks like he's outperforming a lot of these underlying numbers, but eventually I'm sitting here going, I get he is, but when you're slashing 281, 319, 467, you're playing solid defense, I get you might not be the the biggest name because you weren't a huge 
um, a huge prospect. You didn't do a lot of this in the minors, but where do you land on Freddie Fermin? Solid backup. I mean, he's, yeah, you're right. He's outperformed expectations at every level. He, he certainly, I mean, just watching him play, he looks like a gamer, right? He looks like a guy that has had to work hard for everything he's gotten in his life and is just willing to run through a wall for this team. And I think that's, that's great to have in your roster. I mean, that's absolutely, I love having a guy on the team. He's probably outperforming his, his true talent level a little bit, but, but I think he's a major league hitter. I think he's kind of proven that. And, and certainly he's a good defender as well. So having him as a backup to whether it's to Salvi or to MJ next year, if Salvi gets traded, um, I think that's a terrific position to be in to have a young, youngish. I mean, he's, like you said, he's 28, but youngish, you know, cheap uh, uh, player who's hungry and is out there grinding and brings a great attitude to the ballpark every night. That's that's a wonderful thing to have as your backup catcher. So it's 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 certainly nice to have. Like I said, they've got some roster redundancies. It's nice to be in a position where you have some depth at some of these positions, but it also makes sense to maybe make some trades to to, to fill other needs uh, if, if, you, uh, if you have some depth like that. I don't think Fermin gets traded. I think, he is, I think they like him, having him as the backup. Uh, but it, it does give them, I guess, another option uh, if they want to make some trades that they feel comfortable having him as a, the backup and maybe a guy that could even uh, start. Uh, Max, before I let you go, one guy who I think is the biggest enigma on the Royals roster, MJ Melendez, what happens with him and at what point does he have to actually show something? I get all the underlying numbers. I understand all this. I get he's outperforming Freddie Fermin and this, that, and the other. But at some point, you know, Whit Merrifield, no one ever thought he was going to turn into what he was. At some point, if you keep outperforming, this is who you are. Whit Merrifield did that. We're seeing this so far. Again, small sample size with Fermin. MJ Melendez, it just keeps feeling like he keeps getting a longer and longer leash. Yet you look down and you're like, he's batting 236. Yeah, he can take a walk. That's great. But the slugging numbers aren't great. The defense isn't great at any position he plays. I understand the uh, enamor with him because you see the athleticism and you see the speed, you, you see at times the elite power, but at some point, are you just sitting here going, this kind of is who he is, maybe the Royals need to move on? No, yeah, I think you're right. and It kind of goes back to what I was saying about how long do you evaluate these guys and when do you kind of move on. And I, I, like, I like his game. I like what Melendez brings to the plate. He has a very mature approach to hitting uh, where he can take a strike and, and looks for I think certain pitches to drive, but but it's been far too uh, inconsistent this season. I think we we saw him pick things up. I think in the last month, uh, but again, I think in the last week or so, he's starting to kind of wear down a little bit. And maybe look, these guys are early in their major league careers. They haven't played 162 games necessarily before, so there could be some some wearing down. I think uh, Quattaro, Matt Quattaro has done a pretty good job of trying to give these guys days off to to, to protect their bodies a little bit. But at some point, you're right; he's going to have to perform. And actually live up to his potential. And the fact he's out of position, I don't think it's helped. Uh, he's had to kind of have to learn left field, not on the fly. He had time to learn it in spring training, but but it's still pretty new to him. And you know, I, I kind of thought for much of the season that it might have been better for him to kind of DH a lot and get his bat going first before having to worry about playing much left field uh, because that's that's going to be his meal ticket to the big leagues is hitting right. Because uh, you know, even his catching numbers. I mean, at least his rookie season weren't very good, and I don't know what his future is. You know, he's, is he is he a catcher? Is he a left fielder? Is he with another team? Uh, that's that's a really good. I think the quite there's been the book's been out on him for a while. Like, what what's, what are we going to do with this guy? Uh, is is he you know is he a guy that's going to be part of our future, or is he a nice trade chip to to maybe add a pitcher with? 
And uh, you know, the more I guess data we see on them, uh, I don't I don't know if that trade value is still going to be there at the end of the year. Now maybe teams look at the underlying metrics and say, we think we can fix him. We think he's a guy that has a lot of talent, and we'll give you our, you know this, this pitcher, you know, which hopefully is an, another Cole Reagan, uh, and, and, we'll, and and the Royals can be better off for it. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see what they do with MJ Melendez. I think that's probably one of the big question marks for this offseason. What do you do with him? Where does he play? Because I think he's kind of miscast as a left fielder. Uh, but I don't know if you necessarily want to stick it down to play it either. Yeah. Uh, I will say if the Royals had five Cole Reagans and nine Bobby Witt Juniors, his team might be pretty darn good, but <laughs> unfortunately they do not. Uh, Max Reaper, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Max Reaper. Make sure you go to Royals Review. Incredible, incredible Royals coverage. Uh, that is RoyalsReview.com. Max, always a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Sterling. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Cameron Black. Cameron Black is a blind man who is now involved in the world of sports. Cameron, how you doing? What are you up to? Oh, uh, you know, we, we just got done throwing out the first pitch, and I just, I would like to say, you know, uh, and when I say we, I mean uh, my, my good friend Tom, who has also been my catcher and my baseball mentor and and just a really close friend of mine, you know, we've been pitching, we've been practicing, hoping for this moment for about five years now. We literally just got done doing it, just walked off the field, and it could not have possibly gone better. I feel really, really good about it. Pitch went right into Tom's glove. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just incredibly, incredibly happy with how everything went, something I'll never, ever forget. This is amazing right now. Cameron Black joining us right now. I, I can't believe you, you threw a strike you're blind. First off, I can't do that. Like I've played baseball a long time. It's hard enough to throw a strike just in general. Just the emotion that ran through you when you're out there. Can you touch on this a little bit? I, I mean, I was just I was incredibly excited. It was it was such an honor to be on the field. You know, I've been I've been a huge passionate baseball fan for for 5 or 6 years now and just gotten It took me a while to get into sports. I I always tell people I didn't get into it until a late age. I didn't start following sports until I was 28, and I'm 35 years of age now. And the reason for that, sir, is that um, being a completely blind young man, I thought that sports was something that was permanently out of my reach. It was something I would never be able to fully understand. And But I, when I moved to Kansas City, I got more and more into it. I started listening to more and more like, like radio broadcasters, like Mitch Haltis with the Chiefs, and of course, Denny Matthews and, and, and Jake Eisenberg with the Royals and, and through people like my father who taught me about football, like just the rules of it and the basics and how the game works. And then Tom, uh, Tom Worsh, my good friend and my catcher, did the same thing for me with baseball. So through the knowledge that they gave me, those radio broadcasters unlocked a passion in me that I didn't even know I had. And all of a sudden, this, this thing, sports, uh, something that I always considered just completely unobtainable was right there in my grasp. And I've just gotten so into it. And I'm a, I'm a very passionate man. And when I get into something, I get into it and I, I, I learn and I do as much with it as I possibly can. That's phenomenal. And to me, is, is there a certain catalyst that happened that made you not just want to enjoy sports, become a sports fan, but actually get into playing sports? Again, because I think at 28, a lot of times when you hit 28 blind or not, 
if you haven't played the sport, you're fine watching it, but you're probably not going to all of a sudden pick up a football and learn. What was that catalyst for you? You know, I think one of those catalysts was in back in 2018, uh, Mitch Holthus, voice of the Chiefs, and, and I'm 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 so blessed to say he's become a friend of mine. Uh, he he nominated me to be the Blue Cross Blue Shield Chiefs Kingdom champion. And one of the big perks that goes along with that is that I got to throw out the ceremonial first pass on Sunday night football of Chiefs Bengals, and I got to shake hands with Patrick Mahomes, and it was it was just a phenomenal, incredible experience. I'll never forget it as long as I live. But to get ready for that, I, I told people that are close to me, I said, and please no one take offense to this, but I said, I don't want to look like some blind guy out there throwing a football. I want to look like I know what I'm doing because I can do this. And I just need someone to coach me and show me and teach me how. And so that's what we did for a long time with the football. And then that was so successful and went so well that I told my good friend Tom, who had taught me everything about baseball, I said, you know, if I can do that with a football, I can do that with a baseball. And originally, Tom and I started doing it because our goal was to throw out the first pitch for the Royals. That was the ultimate goal. But along the way... I discovered something that I think most people do at a very young age is play catch. I've never played catch. I didn't play catch till I was 30 years old. And while even though we were working towards being able to throw out the first pitch for the Royals and we were training and practicing, we were also just having fun. And I was getting to do something as a 30-year-old man or up until I was 35 to, to now that – most people do when they're a child, and they don't even think about it, They and they might take it for granted. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's just a very commonplace thing that a lot of folks don't think about. So getting to throw that baseball back and forth with Tom and getting to build that friendship with him and that relationship with him, but also getting to do something as simple as playing catch with my buddy, uh, not only working towards the Royals, but that just came something very important to me. Cameron Black joining us right here. You were such a... Just such an important figure for a lot of people to look up towards, right? I mean, you have a whole generation, people you younger, older, everyone who is blind, people who, who, who can see, but they look towards you as this inspiration, this, this complete story of perseverance. Do you ever stop and realize how much what you do really sets the tone for all of these people who, who now might pick up a baseball, pick up a football, who can't see and say, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, I don't think I had thought about that at first because originally I was just, I, I, I was doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for fame or recognition. I was doing it because I wanted to do it. I wanted to know what it was like to, to throw a football. I wanted to know what it was like to throw a baseball. And I wanted to know what it was like to enjoy that sort of camaraderie uh, with, with my football with my father and, and with my family and, and baseball with my friends like Tom. But after a while of doing it, and I told this to someone just earlier today, uh, for me, what's most important, if there are people who are blind or visually impaired listening to this, and it, it doesn't matter whatsoever what age you are, what's most important to me is that just because you are blind or visually impaired does not mean your life stops. You are still perfectly able to be a passionate, to be passionate about whatever it is that you're passionate about. And what I would encourage people to do is, is just go for it. Just put yourself out there. Enjoy your passions. And put yourself out there as much as you possibly can because you never know what will come of it. And just because you are blind or visually impaired or maybe you have another sort of 
another sort of physical uh, disability, that, that does not mean that your life is over. And you can still get passionate and enjoy things uh, that everyone else is passionate about and loves. You have another really cool thing coming up that you are doing with the NBA experience. You have a little documentary coming out with them. Can you touch on this a little bit? I can touch on it a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I, I, was, I know um, we have to keep it a little under wraps because it's not out yet. It's more of a mm, teaser right here. A little bit of a teaser, sure. Uh, so I was contacted about a little, almost a year ago now by a company who is working with uh, Michelob Ultra, uh, the beer brand, of course, and they are trying to develop a technology that would help immerse blind people uh, in the world of sports. And they were primarily starting with the game of basketball. And they wanted to use me kind of as a consultant to provide my advice on what would be helpful in developing a technology like that. But they also kind of wanted to use me as their first test subject to prove, hey, you know, this technology that we've developed, it works for this guy. And look what he can do with it. So look what we can do if we further develop this technology. Mm. So I helped them along the way with that. And it culminated in me being brought, flown out to New York, and they, they suited me up. Quite literally, I wore a haptics vest and things on my arms and hands and feet, and they used sound effects, and they used a refreshable Braille display so that I knew the plays that were happening as they happened. And with that technology, I was able to do a live radio play-by-play of Game 3 of New York Knicks versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. I believe it was on April 23rd. And I provided the play-by-play for that and did a broadcast for, for two and a half hours. And I'm I'm not a broadcaster. I've, I haven't been to any schools or colleges for it. Uh, I just did it, and it was a tremendous, tremendous experience. For those who have not called a game, it is extremely, extremely difficult. Now using all new technology, that to me is phenomenal, just how difficult and underscores the perseverance that you truthfully bring. Is this something in the future you might consider doing full-time? Would you ever consider doing broadcasting full-time with this new technology not only would i consider it i i am actively pursuing it i really i being a sports broadcaster would literally be you hear people talk about their dream jobs that's my dream job is being on the radio i've been told i have a good voice for radio um my father tells me i have a face for radio uh i think i would my love dad to told me that too radio. did he <laughs> I would absolutely love to be on the radio doing what you do, sir. Or I would love to be a sports broadcaster. And I, I as soon as um, as soon as these things that are going to take place in the upcoming months, um, as soon as they take place, I am going to be actively pursuing that as much as I can. That is definitely a dream of mine. And one of the reasons it is such a huge dream of mine is because it's because of broadcasters like like Denny Matthews and Jake Eisenberg and. And, uh, and Ryan Lefevre and Steve Stewart and Mitch Holtis, um, uh, all those guys, they unlocked a passion in me that I didn't know I had. And they brought a world to life to me that I thought I would never be able to, to enjoy. And I want to be able to do that for other people. Cameron Black, a pioneer and a story of perseverance. Cameron, thank you so much for spending time and telling your story here with us. Absolutely, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Take a quick break. Come back. The program right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to Sports Radio 810 WHB. 
Little Chiefs update. They had their first injury report of the year come out, at least as far as before the first game. And good news. Kadarius Tony, Richie James, Legereus Sneed, and Turk Wharton were all questionable. All four of them are dealing with various knee ailments. But all 53 players on the Chiefs' active roster practice today. Good news. You might say... Hey, Sterling, all 53 practices, does that mean Chris Jones? And I will say no, it does not mean Chris Jones. All 53, excluding Chris Jones. But that does mean Legereus Need and Kadarius Tony both practice today. Good news. And then Richie James, Turk Wharton, obviously uh, on the questionable list, but they practiced as well. Uh, Nick Allegretti, who is the team's sixth Lineman, if you will, as far as he's going to be the probable first offensive lineman off the bench, uh, center guard combo. You might see him occasionally in those super those super packages, right? One yard situations. You might see Allegretti. Um, he was a full participant. He has been dealing with a pec injury during training camp. So good news for Allegretti. Uh, cornerback Nick Jones. Remember Nick Jones fractured his hand in the preseason opener. He was also a full participant. Rookie defensive end B.J. Thompson was a full go despite a sore hamstring. So, all 53 players on the active roster practiced. So this is very good news for the Kansas City Chiefs. Richie James may be the only real surprise, but even then it doesn't sound like it is anything serious. So good news as the Chiefs are three sleeps away. One, two, three. Then it's Thursday Night Football, NFL opener, right here at Arrowhead. Get the smokers going, get the smoke billowing, get the banners up, and let's get a beat down. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, If you're looking at the matchup predictor as far as what the Thursday game is going to look like, the line right now are the Chiefs minus six and a half, six and a half point favorites at home. And the over-under is 54-and-a-half. What are you thinking? Wow, that that's high. Seems low. <laughs> no, I think it's going to go, yeah, no, I think it's going to go way over. Man, no Chris Jones? Given these two defenses, yeah. I know, I know that uh, Legereus Sneed is supposed to play, but how much will he play? That's a question. No Charles Aminahu? The Lions last year couldn't stop a nosebleed. Give me the over. Give I, me the over. I agree wholeheartedly. Okay. Uh, Chiefs by six and a half. Seem fair? Yeah, I think it is. Playing at Arrowhead Stadium opening night. Yeah, the Lions finished the, the season strong last year. But this is the Kansas City Chiefs. That's the uh, defending Super Bowl champions. Best offense in the league. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Jamison Williams, as was mentioned earlier, he's obviously going to miss this game for what was it? Was it those betting related? Uh, yeah, it was betting related. I believe so. Yeah. I don't get players that bet. Like, come on, stop! Don't lose money like the rest of us. Lose money with fines or something. Stop betting and getting in trouble and missing games. Yeah, now now he's losing game checks too. Now you're losing game checks. Uh, looking at the Lions, looks like Emmanuel Mosley, the cornerback, uh, as of today, has been listed as questionable. 
What are you looking forward to most in the Chiefs-Lions matchup? Three key takeaways. What do you have? First is uh, the secondary. Trent McDuffie, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson. Uh, and I want to see who is alongside Justin Reed. I know I trust Justin Reed. He's going to be, you know, kind of the leader uh, of that of that deep secondary. Um, but Brian Cook, it's time to step up. It's your era now with uh, Thornhill leaving for Cleveland. Um, that's what I'm most interested in. Uh, second would be, I think it has to be the uh, defensive line. Yeah. That could be first, actually, but my first was the secondary just for my personal interest. And then third, left and right tackle. we got yeah. two new tackles this year. We'll see what you guys got. Yeah, I think tackles for me are one of the most important aspects of this game. I'm fully in belief that they are going to be really, really good. Donovan Smith, the more I've taken a little deep dive into his entire career, Last year is seeming more and more like an outlier. Uh, Juwan Taylor is a phenomenal pass blocker, and as a team that, uh, well, they pass the rock a lot, that means way more than having a mauler, so I like Juwan Taylor's addition. Uh, number two for me, Drew Tranquil. Drew Tranquil is going to be a chess piece for Steve Spagnolo, which leads me into my most important takeaway. Steve Spagnolo, what's he going to do? What is he going to do? What is he going to draw up? What is he going to bring on these designed blitzes? Is Leo Chanel going to get involved on some of these designed blitzes? What are you going to do with Noah Minahu, no Chris Jones, a potentially limited Legereus Sneed? Time to make the big bucks, Steve. Time for Spagnola to show why he's one of the best DCs in the NFL. Kyle. This was a great time. This was me, Sterling Holmes, filling in for Seren Petro and Curtis on the program right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Until next time, we are out.